Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hey everyone, and welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Chenko. And I'm Psych88. And because of a technical failure, this is take two. Uh, with our episode here, a film that a lot of fans had some feelings about, and you and I both have some feelings about for certain that we'll get to as we make our way through the plot of this movie and then also into your character breakdowns. Of which I have many. <laughs> Captain Marvel, guys. We're talking about Captain Marvel today. And we, of course, need to have our spoiler one. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Thank you, Jen. And it wouldn't be a Marvel movie, because uh, where do we begin? But in the past. Okay, I think in this movie's defense, the whole thing is in the past. <laughs> but, yes. We're going back... To, to the past because we've we've already told an awful lot of stories in the, the modern day and if we continued progressing we would then be pushing into future times and it seems like the MCU is a little bit hesitant to do that. So it's 1995 and we're on the Kree Empire capital planet Apala and we meet our leading lady, our main gal, our bombshell blonde fierce who is suffering from amnesia and these crazy dreams, nightmares, involving this older woman. And then we meet probably the um, smarmiest, cockiest, rudest Jude Law. I mean, Yon-Rog. Uh, he's played other villains, yeah. I really didn't like him, though, okay? <laughs> like, he did a great job making me hate his guts. Yes, yes. In this one, he definitely turns up the slime factor. Yon Rog here is not a good person. He gives me the ick. Well, he's her mentor, commander, kind of weird, creepy uncle vibes, and he wants to train Veers to control her abilities. He says she's powerful, but she has no control, and he wants to beat her in combat and get her up to that level. But not really, because he's a slimy bad guy. Yeah, like, he keeps saying that she can't utilize her powers that the Kree gave her, uh, and so she needs to learn control, but then to what end? If she's not being allowed to use the powers, then how is she learning control? Really, it's just about him controlling her. It gives the ick. Gives the ick. So, the supreme intelligence, which rules all the Kree, urges Veers to keep her abilities in check. And, or her emotions, in fact, rather. And eventually they're given a mission to rescue an undercover operative because they're after the Skrulls, these shape-shifting aliens that they're at war with. Yeah. So Veers ends up getting captured by Talos, the Skrull commander. And he suspends her upside down, takes off her shoes for some reason. But just her shoes, doesn't take her armor or anything. Uh, and probes her mind, because that's what aliens do. I mean, what what else do little green men from outer space do, really, right? Yeah, they probe your mind, and they extract her memories in order to lead them to, unsurprisingly, the woman that keeps recurring in her nightmares. It should be also noted that the supreme intelligence, when, when Veers interacts with it, appears as this 
as this woman, but what the Supreme Intelligence is supposed to appear as is someone that you admire and respect the most. But poor Veers doesn't have any idea who this person is, and now the scrolls are, you know, scrolling through her brain, basically, and coming across, again, as we discover her name, is, uh, Lawson, they discover her, and it's like, okay, so now I know a name, but... At first, she's very, very confused and doesn't believe that the scrolls aren't messing with her mind. Oh, I mean, they're playing her memories like a VCR tape. They're like, no, 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 zoom in and, and, and re rewind and oh, pause it, pause there and zoom in on that. That's gotta be wacky to see. And she's also upside down for this, so it probably looks even weirder. Yeah, I don't know why she has to be upside down. As we as we see later with scroll tech, the people don't have to be upside down to get memories out of them, but. I mean, it's disorienting, and it works. Uh, definitely sets the scrolls up as as was supposed to look like our antagonists. Yeah, she ends up not controlling her powers in the slightest. No. And <laughs> just demolishing everyone on her way out. She escapes, and then crash lands into a blockbuster. Yep. Because it's the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> it's Earth, it's 1995, True Lies is on tape. <laughs> So, of course, this attracts the attention of S.H.I.E.L.D., who is always pretty quick on the draw when something falls out of space, as we will learn in films that fall later on the timeline. Though I gotta say, it took them a while on this one. It was night when she fell, and I don't know, it's at least late morning before uh, one Fury and one Coulson show up on the scene. So... It's definitely a bit. Any comments? Any comments on the de-aging? Uh, yes. I thought the de-aging on, on this movie was very good. Uh, and it holds up real well. Uh, the, uh, companies that were, that were in charge of that, they utilized, for, for Fury in particular, for Jackson, they utilized movies that were made in 1995 with him in it. Um, yeah, there were a couple they couldn't use, like, like Jurassic Park was around that time frame, but his character... They had given him age makeup to appear older, so they couldn't use it. And they ended up going with a 187 to utilize as the standard to create his 1995 look. I thought it was very well done. Same for Clark Gregg. Uh, less, I guess, on what they had available, but they definitely did a good job. And it must have been nice to have a whole head of hair again for both of them. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Clark Gregg has kind of looked the same age for an awfully long time, so it wasn't too jarring to see him a little bit smoother. Uh, yes. I'm glad they didn't go <laughs> full blank slate, like, you know who I'm gonna say, we're looking at you, smooth Ian McKellen! <laughs> yeah, okay, so it's come a long way since X3, thankfully. Yeah, and we're gonna learn that our supposed bad guys, the Skrulls, are really, really good at impersonating people. Yeah, race of shapeshifters. Gotta love it. Uh, Veers ends up recovering the crystal that has all of her memories. It's like a little organic flash drive. It's kind of weird. And in the ensuing chase, car chase, very 90s. Uh, not, not the worst car chase in MCU history. I, I could probably comment further on it, but... We find out that Coulson is not quite Coulson, and Fury kills the Skrull impersonating him. Cue disgusting alien autopsy that nobody asked for. And the, the very uncomfortable everyone just, uh, let's peek under the towel. Yes, if I remember right, the commentary on that one was, like, it was kind of improvised. Like, Fury, or that, that Jackson had just kind of done it, and everyone just kind of rolled with it. I mean, it fit. It was in character. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that one was that one was weird, but hey, it's a weird alien autopsy. Why not? And then we get <laughs> somehow uh, you gotta give these shield credit, like these shield agents, something. But the big boss uh, Keller comes in during the autopsy. Except it's not even Keller. It, they totally blow that like thirty seconds after his introduction, and he's actually a scroll. He's Talos, uh, and it's like. So these, like, top-the-line agents, spies, and everything, and you mean to tell me that the scrolls found the head of the organization, 
and simmed him inside of two hours, but they can't track down superpowered uh, veers. Like, what? Come on. Come on. Yeah, their their training program wasn't quite prepared for invaders from outer space. I mean, fair, I guess. Like, they're still dealing with what, what was happening for S.H.I.E.L.D. in the 90s. Uh, in 95, I mean, we were just coming off the Cold War, so, I mean, and that's what Fury mentions during the, uh, uh bio, bio section that will, that in the bar, you know, uh, so the, the focus is global terrorism. So again, it's, you know, but it's person on person, not person on extraterrestrial. So I will give that much. From these memories, they end up going to the Project Pegasus base, which is a air force base and they discover that veers was actually a pilot that was assumed dead in 1989 after testing out a very very experimental bleeding edge engine designed by dr wendy lawson our mystery woman from her nightmares yep and again like oof the tech like they they show pictures of that of the tech there and the tech available. And it's like, okay, it's 1989 or the 90s. And you mean to tell me you've got that kind of tech laying around? Like something that can handle stuff? Like, I don't know. It just, it didn't, it felt a little, it felt a little out of place for, for that. Yeah. It's comic book science and comic uh, book science, plot convenience. Mm, Yes. Actually probably a better, one on this one. Oh no, we have 1980s planes. Like, like guys, those they are obsolete for a reason. Fury ends up informing his bosses at Shield of their location, and the team swarms the area. And of course, we've got to have our reveal that Keller is Talos. Yeah. Shapeshifting aliens. Anyway, they help Veers escape in the jet, and. In that jet is Lawson's cat, Goose. Talos is not like Goose. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. So they end up flying to Louisiana, where pilot Maria Rambo, Veers' former friend, we come to find out, is living her daughter, Monica. And they reveal her actual identity as Carol Danvers, where her name comes from, because, you know... Don't change it too much. Like, uh, Shang-Chi, you change your name to Sean. (laughs) (laughs) You changed her name to Veer, so creative. Okay, so in, I guess, that defense, like, all, all the other side had was half of a dog tag, which was the last four letters of her last name. So they just made up a name out of it. But writing aside, like, yeah, guys, you could you could have called her just about anything, and we'd have bought it almost a little bit better than Veers. Yeah, it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. No, it really doesn't. Uh, they end up showing her a bunch of pictures, and it goes through their friendship and how close they were. They were like family, and now they get to face the reality that she didn't die in that accident after they've already grieved their friend. And now she's back. She doesn't remember them. And she's got crazy superpowers. And oh yeah, there's this green dude. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, they're shape-shifting aliens. Oh look, they're in your living room. Because apparently they can do that. So Talos arrives completely unarmed and he explains that the Skrulls are not the enemy in the war. It's actually the Kree that are hunting them to extinction. They want to commit genocide on the scrolls, because that's what every big bad evil empire wants to wants to do to people. Yeah, uh, short of a couple of SS logos, um, it doesn't take much of a stretch to figure out kind of who the Kree actually are in relation to everyone else. They're space Nazis. <laughs> yeah, the scrolls are refugees, and they're seeking a new home, and. Dr. Lawson is actually Marvell, a completely renegade Cree scientist, and she was trying to help them. And 
in wanting to destroy the engine, she dies in the accident, but instead of the energy just going nowhere, it gets absorbed by our main gal. Because superhero science doesn't just kill her like it does to Marvel, she absorbs it. Well, uh, okay, Marvel was shot. Shot dead. But yeah, uh, when, when Carol pulls the trigger on the, the, on, on, on the engine to cause it to explode, she is, is subjected to the energies of basically siphoned off Tesseract and is given the powers of, that she has. It's plot convenient. I don't like it. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, yes, but it... I guess it's a reason. It's a reason. It gets the, po- it gets the point across. It moves the plot along. It- it's very dramatic. We discover that they have this closer relationship. There's this big bomb drop that Marvel is this alien lady, but she doesn't. Carol doesn't remember it. And now she does because she's starting to recall things as they siphon through her memories. And it's it, it's revealed that her powers are the reason behind her memory loss, although the little bit of Cree influence didn't help at all. No. And speaking of that Cree influence, it was Yon Rog and Minerva who killed Marvel and and shot down the plane and all of that. So guess what? Our Super Star Force teammates are actually our bad guys. And that's when the movie drops all pretense about Yon Rog even being remotely close to a uh, nice guy, TM. He's just bad guy. Dun dun dun. Our crew, our friends, end up going to the laboratory that's orbiting Earth, where Dr. Lawson was hiding a little bit more than a stowaway cat. She's got whole Skrull families, including the family of Talos, as well as the Tesseract, because, you know, that thing's only been missing since whenever. Last time we saw it, it was at the bottom of the ocean and they were still trying to find it. No, no, no. They, they took care of that in Avengers. You know, they, they, right. they mentioned it, that, uh, that Stark had fished it out of the Atlantic and- Cap said you should leave it there. Yeah, but, like, okay, so- for the Tesseract, we find it in the 40s again, right? After after the events of, of Captain America. Mm-hmm. We have it, we're doing experiments, I'm guessing, on it all through the Cold War. And then suddenly at the end of the Cold War, the Tesseract goes missing. Like, you mean to tell me something you had in your possession for 40-ish years just whoop, disappears? And no one freaks out about that? I mean... I'd be a little worried if a uh, exactly. weapon of mass destruction with the capability to create technology beyond any scientific advances that exist, that's, d- d- I don't just let that go missing. I'm going to start looking for it. Y- yeah. <laughs> Especially with the timing of everything. Well, and also there's an awful lot of people out in the universe as well that would want to find said blue cube. I-, I find it hard to believe that one very large purple man did not come looking for it i have a hard time believing that any kind of cloaking device would have stopped him had he wanted to find it there yeah i don't know where where thanos fits into that at all um plot holes anyway plot hole we're reaching our main i guess our our main fight our big one at the end because we've all got to end it somewhere right and our gal's gotta overcome her uh know how to i don't even know what to call him really because he shackles yeah. they're chains i mean yeah. they may be mental um to some extent but it's a physical limiter in the form of a patch on the side of her neck that keeps the supreme intelligence uh, allows the supreme intelligence to keep a little bit of a handle on carol's powers and when carol decides that that is no longer acceptable that basically the empire and everything has been keeping her bound and almost gagged she's like nah and blows everything to heck and during this battle fury ends up retrieving goose who is not a cat and fury realizes why talos was so scared of goose he's a flirkin and he swallows a couple of dudes as well as the tesseract 
and scratches Fury in the eye, which is yet another plot hole. Yes, yes, it very much is. I don't know why we needed the bit where he loses the eye here, when in um, Winter Soldier, it was very clearly stated that he had both eyes in a mission where he saved Alexander Pierce in the later 90s. So, like, they, I think they try to cover it up a little bit with the fake eyes that they present him later, but it doesn't get rid of the scratch marks, which he had very prominent all through everything. So, like, I, I don't know. It was weird. That was just, it's interconnectivity Marvel BS, and I don't like it. It's a case of Marvel forgetting where they've been and where they are in the timeline. Yes. It needed to happen, but this wasn't where it should have happened. But it's too late to go back and erase it. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, so Carol completely destroys a Kree bomber, which forces Ronan the Accuser, who, like, blips in for all of 35 seconds... They painted poor Lee Pace blue and put him in that suit to appear on screen for like 15 whole seconds and then say, nah, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they even tried to set it up for like a sequel where he would come back or something because he says, we'll come back for the weapon. And, you know, he's he's meeting Carol. And it's like, no, no, you won't. You she die. Just, she just flew through your spaceship, my guy. You're not gonna just arrest her. Well, and then not only you know, not only that, but like it just never happens. And all all we really get is we know what happens to him. Both him and Korath made made cameo appearances in this that were just like, and why are you here? Like, no, really, why? You your purpose in the plot could have been served by anyone else? Anything else. So what did you really do other than serve as some other connection to the greater MCU here? Go, oh, we're in space. We, we're in space. We need to remind people that we're in space, even though our whole story revolves around little green men from space. And there's a thing called the Space Force, or the Star Force. We gotta remind everyone that we're still in space. We gotta remind everyone we're still in space because we spend uh, 75% of the movie, oh yeah, on Earth in the mid-90s. Of course, now as we get to our, I wouldn't even call it a final boss battle because it's not much of a battle, Carol overpowers yon Rog, and she lets him live after just beating the brakes off of him. Because he's like, oh, you know, let's fight one-on-one, -on -one, hand to hand and she's like, no, yeet. And just blasts him across a field. <laughs> and the way he hit the ground made me die laughing. She has nothing left to prove to him. And she sends him back to his home planet saying, you know, here's my message for you. A warning to the supreme intelligence. And then she flies off to help Skrulls find a new homeworld. Which we'll find out later in subsequent series that that didn't quite work out. I do want to know if that wasn't working out where she was for the events of future films, but that's neither neither here nor there. Well, I mean, the point of her flying off to go do this was this, it was supposed to take a long time, and that would explain why she wasn't available or around for uh, the Battle of New York, formation of the first Avengers, and, and all of that stuff. That was just too, it was a it was a writing cop out for a reason why she wasn't there. And then now we've got Secret Invasion kind of retconning all of it because Scrolls come back two years. It's 1997 and Fury's like, yeah, I'm going to give you guys jobs as my first big uh, group of spies in exchange for we're going to keep looking for a home for you. So I guess she's still supposed to be out there looking while the rest of this goes down, but it, it's very not well planned out. Like, the ending of Captain Marvel here, like, when I first saw it, it was like, okay, you guys just aren't going to do Secret Invasion, because, you know, you've painted the scrolls in this pretty positive light of of sentient beings being exterminated, which counter is counter to any organization that wants to secretly undermine and take over a planet. Like, that would be, that would just be justifying what the Kree 
are doing to you. And lo and behold, we get Secret Invasion anyway. So how much of it is the Kree being Nazis and how much of that is actually true stuff? Who knows? It's very frustrating. It To me, it's not well handled. And these people are paid thousands of dollars to not screw this up. And here we are. Yeah, but Fury gets inspired by Carol and superheroing and decides that he needs to put together an initiative to put together spectacular, powerful people in case of emergencies. And in honor of his good friend Carol, he names this initiative after her Air Force call sign, Avenger. I hardly know her. (laughs) I rolled my eyes so hard when I first saw that. I was just like, okay, guys, you don't need everything to be connected in this movie. I don't know why it was decided that all the little things need to be brought together here, but it was. But it that was just so heavy-handed. And it was just not necessary. You mean to tell me that Fury just doesn't have an original thought in his head? He's one of the greatest tacticians the world has ever known. One of the best spies the world has ever known. And he doesn't have an original thought in his head to create a team for? Come on. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I would have even... I wouldn't have even been mad if her call sign had been Marvel. And and mm, then he yeah. still was putting together the, the initiative because, I, I don't know, maybe it would have been a cool callback for Marvel to say, hey, you're, you know, your your call sign should be Marvel because you're not supposed to give yourself your call sign. But I digress. That That's a whole sordid tale for later because you've got it, the, the whole thing with names and all that comes up in later discussion for you because you've got a couple of characters to get through but before that we've got our mid-credits scene which is set in 2018 where we see a pager that carol left with fury getting signaled before fury gets dusted in the blip because again we're to our avengers franchise yeah yeah um and then she shows up at the very very end looking completely unchanged, and is, where's Fury? Like, okay, so now we've established how Fury got the pager, the the significance of the pager, which for within the real-world timeline was already seen, because this movie came out after Infinity War. So, like, okay, we see Fury getting dusted, he gets that pager out, and he pushes the button before he disappears, and it's like, okay, so we're getting Captain Marvel, obviously. That's what that was supposed to set up. And now we got her. Done. And in our post credit scene, our flurkin goose climbs up onto Fury's desk and, as cats are prone to do, just hacks up the Tesseract like a hairball. Gross. At least it was just the Tesseract and not, you know, half a decayed Greek corpse as well. Because <laughs> it could have been a whole lot worse and any cat owner knows that. Like, Fury's just lucky that it's just a slightly slimy tesseract. Yeah, it'll wash off. It's fine. Just take it in the bathroom. Rinse it off. Don't let him eat it again. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And yeah, that's it. I mean, this one, this movie, I think was received way harsher than it deserved. Oh, yeah, but that's because we have troglodytes. Yeah. So my, my thing with this, right, is that we've had franchises built on arrogance cockiness, overconfidence, like the whole movie Thor was about pride. We have billionaire playboy philanthropist Anthony Stark flouncing around in a hot rod red and gold suit. Uh We've got Peter Quill. Yeah, just Peter Quill. Just Peter Quill. Just in general, yes. Literally the same shtick in space, but without the, the laser hands and the troglodytes want to complain about this movie because it stars a strong woman who isn't going to take any crap from Jude Law? What is this, Gattaca? Yeah, no. Um, like, this movie hits, I for me it hits in the top 15. I, I, I definitely hit it points for just some of the narrative decisions in it, but its overall message is strong and competent and well done. But the troglodytes... Troglodytes out there, they seem to think that uh, fictional women can only exist in two categories. Either you're the stoic badass 
who doesn't do anything but needs to just be opened up by a sensitive and caring man or the lady is is lust personified or basically sex personified that's it that's the only two places women can exist according to the troglodytes they are obviously dead freaking wrong but you know part of being a troglodyte is you don't pay attention to those kinds of things and just blindly stick your head in the sand going no how many times can we get a count on how many times you've said troglodyte <laughs> no it's true it's true though that they they're complete knuckle-dragging cave dwellers because like you said a woman cannot exist within fiction without becoming some object of their i don't know perceived placing or hierarchy or whatever you want to call it it's it's disgusting and frankly i think this movie was a breath of fresh air in regards to its treatment of a female protagonist because just haven't we hadn't seen it up to this point really yes no especially within the mcu i mean up until captain marvel there hadn't been any uh any superhero film led by a woman our most prominent women are secondary to the overall action it's like marvel didn't know what to do until we got captain marvel here which is frustrating it's just frustrating yeah, because this was not a bad film. I actually thoroughly enjoyed this film on first watching the subsequent 87 half watches at a specific job where we only had this movie and, like, The Dark Knight Rises and White House Down. Uh, yeah, regardless of that. I liked this one. I thought the action sequences were great. I appreciated that they pushed a female protagonist to the front of the line without... I wouldn't say without bashing you over the head with it because it was heavy-handed at parts, but I feel like it was very overhand like heavy-handed in its interconnectivity BS. Like yes, doing the thing with Fury or giving the Avengers uh history origin to her. Like those were things that just weren't necessary. But just have a good time, people. Like this movie was a good time. It had great action sequences and you can take it at face value because I categorize, I suppose, I suppose I categorize Carol Danvers along the lines of someone like The Bride from Kill Bill, that no BS, strong female lead that everyone should just learn to accept. Because I don't hear people complaining about her. Everyone loves Uma Thurman. Right, yes. And it, like, it's got great chemistry. In fact, it had such great chemistry, it's why we have Secret Invasion in, in the form that we have it in. Because it was told to the writers, don't pick up the comic book. Only do it based because Jackson and Mendelssohn had such a great chemistry. Just build up off of that. So, and that, it worked out real well. You can see it. Um, Jackson and and uh, Larson also have fantastic chemistry. And you can see that in other works that they, they are in as well. So, like, it works. It's just, it's just people suck. But we have some not sucky people to thank here real quick so let us move on to our mid-break yeah hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome to our mid-break. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone that has stuck with us and are part of the Patreon. Big shout out goes to Penguin Ninja at our superhero tier. You too can join in on the fun by joining up via the link in the episode description. And for the month of July only, if you sign up at the superhero tier, you get to co-host with us on our episode covering Spider-Man Far From Home as the patron's episode. Considering Far From Home is considered the epilogue to Phase 3, we thought it would be a good way to kind of cap off our own season here with this big patron chat. So if you want in on that, just click the link and sign up for that. 
Absolutely. We would look forward to talking to you and we're looking forward to bringing Penguin back on. It's always a great time doing the patron chats and we look forward to hearing from everyone. If you can't support us financially, you can always drop us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. Any five-star reviews will get read out on this portion of the show. We don't currently have one. And if you want to chat with us directly, you can always hit us up on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, or the Robots Radio Discord, where we have a channel specifically for the show. A link for the Discord will also be in the show description. And speaking of shows on the robots, uh, tell us about the fight space, Shanko. Well, if you're not tired of hearing from me yet, I'm also the host of a little show called The Fight Space. I recently brought on my good friend, Marvelous Ruben Vargas, and it's one of the only female-led martial arts shows on the internet where I discuss the deep roots of martial arts and modern media, cover historical super fights, and break down fight scenes in film, as well as share news from the fighting. I've recently become really involved with karate combat, and I've been having a great time bringing all of those stories and experiences to all of you guys. I use my experience training in combat sports to give my perspective into the world of martial arts and the people that call this space home. Where else can they find you, Psych? You can find me on the Mass Effect Blue Shift. It's a tabletop RPG podcast that uses the Fate system. Uh, we play Citadel security agents solving crime on the Citadel, and I am dashing human agent Jack Parizo. Episodes are a lot of fun, and they drop monthly on the first Friday of the month, which... We just did here, so uh, we just concluded our Mad Bomber case. So if you haven't checked us out yet, go check us out. And outside of the Robots Network, I've joined Scyther Audio to create the Avengers Audio Drama, which is a spinoff of their astonishing X-Men audio drama series. Premise is I had to get the original comics and modernize them into an audio screenplay. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, this will be a years-long project, as I'm the writer, the director, the casting director, and the audio engineer for this one. Uh, plus, I'm a voice actor when, on it, uh, making my debut as the Hulk, which I am super stoked for. Uh, first episode goes up in September, coincided with the 60th anniversary of the first Avengers comic. If you have any more questions or want to audition for the plethora of characters available please email avenger audio drama all one word at gmail.com that is it for the mid break you got more than you've got more than two characters to get through (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 i do yeah uh i love origin movies i also just love origin movies But, so, less complaining, more doing. Alright, up first is everyone's favorite kitty, Goose. Uh, Actually Chewy in the comics, but due to Star Wars being a contemporary franchise, the name could not be used for the movie, so they went with the Top Gun reference instead. Uh, Introduced in giant-sized Miss Marvel number one in April 2006 by Brian Reed and Roberto de la Torre. The alien aspect of Chewie was introduced in Captain Marvel Volume 8, Number 2, in June 2014 by Kelly Sue DeConnick and David Lopez. Uh, he's a flurkin, he helps Carol out, and he never scratches Nick Fury. But other than that, pretty solid. Um, after that, we've got the Supreme Intelligence, introduced in Fantastic Four Number 65 in August 1967, by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Uh, woof, talk about a facelift. Uh, the comic Supreme Intelligence is a floating head with tendrils, too many eyes, and too many noses, and is basically just ugly as sin. So, make, <laughs> uh, making it, uh, the person you most admire and respect in the world is a much better idea than what's presented. Uh, it leads the Kree Empire off and on for decades, and it's been killed off a couple of times, inclu- including currently during the Black Vortex storyline. So, yeah, it's just dead right now. I think that iteration was uh, two Reed Richards from alternate universes who were then merged into a new Supreme Intelligence. So that's just lovely. I'm getting, like, the face of Bo vibes from Doctor Who. 
Yeah. Now imagine it green and slightly uglier. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. Um, but speaking of, uh, start, let's talk about some individual creeps. Well, we've got uh, the Star Force introduced in Avengers number 346 in April 1992 by Bob Haras and Steve Iptig. Uh, they were a frontline defense force brought together by the Supreme Intelligence. Uh, the team roster included Captain Atlas, Dr. Minerva, Ronan the Accuser, Ultimus, Korat the Pursuer, and Shatterax. After the fall of the Kree Empire to the Shi'ar, Deathbird led the team for a bit. Uh, but it hasn't been seen really since the 90s. Like, these all, these characters have all split off and done basically whatever they wanted. They haven't bothered to put together Star Force again. Probably for the best. So if, if Batroc and Crossbones are like C-list villains, where does the Star Force rank? See, that's in the... In the grand scheme of things, probably, like, D, almost. I mean, it depends on who you're talking about. Like, like Ronan the Accuser? Solid B. Dr. Minerva? Less so. But also, they are very limited in their scope. Other than some of the Avengers, when the Avengers go out into space, uh, their primary antagonist, or the, the primary protagonist to them, is Captain Marvel. Or the Guardians of the Galaxy. So it's it's kind of a matter of basically who are they up against determines kind of their placing. Whereas, like, I mean, I'd give Crossbones also a pretty solid B. I mean, he knocked off Captain America. Batroc gets to sit at a C. That's fair. But, like, compared to someone like, like a force like the Thunderbolts, who we'll end up talking about later down the line, it's like, who are these people? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Like, the... <laughs> In in list of team names, the Star Force is basically on the same level as, I would say, the first iteration of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Maybe just a step up from them. Now, for the members for the MCU's Star Force, we have Bron Char, who was introduced in Avengers number 364 in July 1993 by Mark Wade and Joe Kubert. Um... If in case you don't know, because this movie was terrible about keeping names straight, uh, that was the Kree with the red beard. Uh, he was killed in Captain. He was killed by Captain America just after his introduction as well. So in the comics, he's very short-lived and he doesn't do a whole lot. Basically, what they did with him in the movie. After that, we have Atlas, uh, introduced in Quasar number nine in April 1990 by Mark Grunwald and. Mike Manley. Uh, he's actually a captain in the Kree army. He's Captain Atlas, and he's a love interest for Minerva. He does a lot more in the comics than they ever did with him in this movie. Uh, he basically is almost eye candy for the movie, which is, I don't know. They could have done a lot more, but they didn't. So what's with, what's with this series and chopping up Greek and Roman mythological names and spelling them weird and putting a dash in it for no reason and just the dash thing in general um it's spacey <laughs> i don't know is the dat does the dash stand for the space um, yeah because i hate it yes yes that's what it, the, the dash is the introduction of space into the name so yeah yes i don't know <laughs> leave me alone i, can't, I don't want to live here anymore this is terrible. Yeah. Like, basically, for the members of the MCU Star Force, you have three characters with a dash in it, which I guess is supposed to make it look like it's Kree-ish. You got Yon-Rog, Atlas, and Minerva. And they are all the primary Kree... Oh, and Bronchar. They are all the primarily Kree members. The why Yon-Rog is a white guy and the other members are all blue, except for Korath, who is obviously of a person of color. I don't know why. Anyway, speaking of Minerva, she was introduced in Captain Marvel number 50 in May 1977 uh, by uh, Scott Eldman and Al Migrom. When she's first introduced, she has a thing for the first Captain Marvel. Uh, she's looking to hook up with him to make a better Kree race. And she's very, she's very much into genetics. She wants that super baby. Just let her have the super baby. Yeah, just very much into the old-fashioned way of doing it. 
later she does give that up and when she gets with atlas she gives him and herself uh, superpowers via genetic whatever comic book science uh she's not a sniper she's not a pilot so yeah that's that's it like mcu minerva is much different than her counterpart and also comic book one is still breathing so there's that yikes all right now for everyone's favorite slime ball Yon Rog, introduced in Marvel Superheroes number 12 in December 1967 by Stan Lee and Gene Colan. He is insanely jealous of Marvel over his relationship with another Kree woman. Her name is Una. Uh, Yon Rog has basically coveted Una for a while, and so he constantly is making attempts via the Kree government to kill Marvel. Talk about an abuse of power. <laughs> right? Not only is Yon Rog Marvel's superior officer, but he's actively always looking to make sure Marvel fails. So yeah, yeah. He's just if you thought they, you know, turned Yon Rog into some sort of like woke character uh to be a super bad guy, no. No. Yon Rog is slime. <laughs> Period. It doesn't seem to matter which one he is. Been like this for a long time. They didn't change much. No. It's one of those attempts that he tries to kill uh, Marvel that uh, Carol gets caught in the crossfire, and that crossfire grants her her first iteration of superpowers, which is basically Captain Marvel's. Uh, the uh, Kree resistance to poisons, uh, Super strength, flight, that stuff. Eventually, he does end up either being dead or at least being thought dead. Um, and he's brought back in the comics around the same time as the movie came out. <coughs> Go figure. And was promptly defeated, though also, again, at the cost of memory wiping Carol. It does seem like Marvel has a thing for uh, attacking a, specifically Carol through her mind. Because that's not the... Obviously, it's not the first time we've seen that kind of attack against her. But anyway, I'm not in Marvel. I don't get to make those decisions. I wish I did. All right, leaving the Kree aside for a minute, we've got Talos. Uh, we've got basically the Alexander Pierce effect, but here we go. Uh, introduced in The Incredible Hulk number 418 in June 1994 by Peter David and Gary Frank. He is a scroll that cannot shapeshift. But he's got superhuman strength and durability. So he goes by Talos the Untamed as he's constantly being able to beat other scrolls in gladiatorial-like combat. But then the Kree beat the pants off of him. And so the scrolls started calling him Talos the Tamed and he lost a lot of respect and face. Ultimately, that has left him a relative nobody in the grand scheme of Marvel Comics. Yeah, that is the Alexander Pierce effect. Because now he's a family guy and well-respected and a leader, a general. And he can shapeshift, man. They gave him his powers. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, they said we like that name. Let's make him a little bit cooler. Let's just keep giving him stuff. Yeah, <laughs> basically it's like, we like the name Talos, but we're just going to take the name and the fact that he's a scroll, And we're going to actually keep the fact that he should shapeshift. Like, that's it. That's all it is. All right. Now, we've got Captain Marvel, also known as Captain Marvel, because people can't hear distinctions like a space. Introduced in Marvel Superheroes number 12, as above, Marvel was sent to Earth to spy on us by the Kree Empire, and he reported to Colonel Yon Rog. Uh, he adopted the name of deceased scientist Walter Lawson. Uh, he ended up befriending Carol Danvers, and he starts to really like humanity, and he sees our potential, and he wants to help us kind of get there, and so in doing that, in coming, becoming much more friendlier with humanity, it's, I mean, it's not like Yon Rog needed a reason to turn on Marvel, but it's one of the reasons he, he does this. He calls Marvel a traitor to the Kree cause, and tries to kill him all the time. Uh, so he's got... A super long history that I would prefer to just say for a character deep dive because MCU basically was like, 
we need a Marvel character, but we want this to stay as a uh, woman empowerment kind of movie. And so we want to drop any pretense of some sort of relationship beyond mentor and friend. So they just called Walter Wendy and cut everything else. Like, Marvel's not even a superhero. We don't get any of the, like, legacy stuff that Carol carries here in, in comics. Like, none of it. Which I get. So, and it worked for this movie. I don't know what the movie would have looked like if we had the original Marvel and and all of this other stuff. It may not have been any good whatsoever. It could have been amazing. Who knows? As for the original, he dies of cancer, and that is covered in the book The Death of Captain Marvel. Um, it's a very big n- note in history. Uh, heroes and villains alike turn out to show their respects. He has a tomb on one of the moons of Saturn. I believe it's Titan. And... He is very rarely brought back, and any time that he kind of is, it's for a minute, and then he dies, or he's there to deliver a message, and then he leaves. It's, it's, he's one of the few characters that is not ever brought back, which is surprising, considering Marvel's relationship with death. Yeah, I think we definitely need to take a closer look at him as a character, because he's gone through so many iterations and changes, and now that this mantle of Captain Marvel's really kind of gone to Carol Danvers in the grand scheme of the MCU. I think it's worth spending some time because we're not going to revisit this chapter probably until they talk a little bit more in the Marvels. Yeah, precisely. If if anything at all. But yes. But speaking of the Marvels, let's talk. Carol Danvers, aka Miss Marvel, aka Binary, aka Warbird, a.k.a. Captain Marvel. She was introduced as Danvers in Marvel Superheroes number 13 in March 1968, as Miss Marvel in Miss Marvel number 1 in January 1977, as Binary in The Uncanny X-Men number 164, December 1982, as Warbird in The Avengers number 4 in May 1998, and as Captain Marvel in Avenging Spider-Man number 9, July 2012. Did you get all that? There'll be a test later. I promise. I will get an F-, because I am number dyslexic with the attention span of a goldfish. But that that's a lot. Um, So again, another character with a lot of iterations, changes, and someone they haven't really known what to do with, it seems like. Um, well, okay, so Carol, when she first becomes Miss Marvel, she gets, she, she got exposed to some of, of Captain Marvel's, uh, genetic structure. She bonds with it to give her the hybrid Kree physiology and, and everything. Um, but she was, she ends up fighting Rogue, right? And that's how Rogue gets all her powers, the flight, the super strength, the, enhanced durability is when she drains miss marvel and she goes into a coma so later um she wakes up she's you know uh, xavier helps her kind of come up out of her coma uh she and rogue do not ever get along oh i say ever they just recently and i mean recently started patching things up between rogue and carol but anyway um she's she ends up on a mission with the X-Men and she's exposed to a white dwarf star power. And that gives her those cosmic abilities that we know her for today. The uh, shooting stuff out of her hands uh, and the glowing and all of that stuff. Like that's where that power set comes from. So they kind of, and for the movie, they just sidestepped the Miss Marvel time part and just immediately went to the binary part. And then just went yeah we're just gonna make all of that captain marvel because uh, it's not until the 2000s after the house of m event where she starts believing that she can live up to the mantle of captain marvel and she starts becoming a much more prominent member of the avengers and being much more utilized by marvel and everything which i think was a little bit of a setup on marvel's part as well again she's another character that we could just do 
a whole deep dive on because there's just so much history going on there. Yeah, it seems like they've changed the character a lot through this, and she's bounced her way through like every major team, it looks like, too. Yes, very, yes. Because, I mean, there was a period of time where they didn't know what to do with her, but Marvel wanted to hold on to the copyright. Because, uh, if you'll go with me on a quick detour into the past, the first Captain Marvel was owned by Fawcett Comics, uh, which was later bought by DC. But at the time for all of that, uh, Fawcett let that uh, copyright lapse, and Marvel pounced on it. And that's where we get the first Captain Marvel. Yeah, get something out to the publishing board quick. Uh-huh. Jump on that copyright. <laughs> and then they kind of didn't know what to do with him. And so that's why his adventures are a little weird. They're all over the place. Um, but they put out enough books consistently that they kept the copyright. And the same problem for when they had Miss Marvel. As they, they kind of just didn't want to give up the name. Because, hey, it's our name. We're Marvel Comics. So we're going to have the Marvel character. Mm -hmm. But copyright problems aside yeah there's a reason she's a little all over the place and i will give the mcu credit for taking all of that baggage and going yeah we don't need it chuck <laughs> yeah just cut to the meat exactly and speaking of cutting uh, it seems like <laughs> they've made some liberties with uh, our, t our place in the timeline as far as comic events go uh, yes. So we have aspects of the Kree Skrull War that plays out in the comics being utilized here. And in the comics, is is explored a lot more in depth. The Avengers get personally involved, uh, and you have the, the Avengers working with Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel to, to, like, bring an end to the war. Whereas here in the movie, it's the backdrop, and that's all it is, like, Oh yeah, the Kree and the Skrull, they're fighting, and we have a reason for you to be involved, but really it's a personal story, and it's played out in the backdrop of a war. Mm. Yeah, it's about the people fighting the war, not necessarily what's happening. Right. And we don't have, like, the, the movie's supposed to end on, well, you know, Carol solves it by just taking the Skrulls elsewhere, and the war's gonna end because... They're going to find a home and everything's going to be great and wonderful. And, you know, the reality is much, much worse. So, yeah, that's it. That's that's what I've got. Again, like this one was not a bad time. I had a I enjoyed this movie. I saw it in theaters. I saw it twice as it as it goes. And then you watch it again. I forgot that I did actually enjoy this one. Because you consistently, you're like, oh, it's crap, it's crap, it's crap. And then eventually you just sit there and you go, okay, think whatever you want to think. I don't recall not enjoying this film. And there are much worse places to be with it. Again, you gender bend it and you make Captain Marvel a guy. And I promise you the troglodytes would accept Captain Marvel just like they did Iron Man. Oh, yes. Yep. Um, I think, I think... Uh, Larson was a fantastic pick for Carol, um, and I'm really excited to see uh, the Marvels uh, in theaters. Um, I'm very much looking forward to it. So, and I, I, I really hope that that the just the worst aspects of the internet aren't putting a damper on the people who are a part of these movies because. Man, like if I'm, you know, I've read some of the commentary on it, and it is like straight out of some 1950s BS. Like, and you can't tell if it's being played for stupid, if it's being played for laughs, or if it's being played for reels. It's, it's just awful, all of it, and it's, and it's a real shame because the movie is good. It's got a great message. I even connected with the message. I'm not a woman, but the empowerment of like. Standing up for not just yourself, but for a cause to do the right thing. Like, those, those things aren't gendered. You get that message all the time with, go join the military. Stand up for what's right. Rawr, rawr, rawr. Like, come on. Yeah, just enjoy the movie. That's it. Enjoy the movie for what it is. It's a good time. It's a good action movie. It's got space drama. I mean, we do spend like 75% of it, like you said, on Earth. 
but <laughs> yes <laughs> but she shoots lasers out of her hands man right it's, it's definitely not like she's shooting it out of her face <clears throat> <laughs> you're talking about crossbones with the terrigen mists aren't you <laughs> yes i'm very much making fun of crossbones with the terrigen mists Alright, well, we've probably gone on long enough on the movie and the troglodytes, so I think we will call it here. Uh, next week, we finally start moving into the end game with Doctor Strange. Very exciting. I, I'm excited to move forward with this. I, again, another one that surprised me, and that's all I'll say for now. Alright, well, we'll catch you next week, everybody. Night, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In Seven Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration, Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us, Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork, Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music, our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this, and you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man, enough said. Ever wanted to be a content creator but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful. Here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.